Hi, I'm Tabitha Wood, a writer, editor and teacher living in Wellington and I'm going to read you one of my stories from my W collection, Dark Winds Over Wellington, Chilling Tales of the Weird and the Strange. This is a ghost story around Mount Victoria Tunnel, but it's also a story about living life to its fullest. It does mention incidents of tooting through Mount Victoria Tunnel and I would like to acknowledge that that is a controversial subject and that I do not condone any incidents of dangerous or irresponsible driving. Toot Tunnel We called it the Toot Tunnel ever since we were kids, although of course that wasn't its official name. Mount Victoria Tunnel, part of State Highway 1, connected Hatai Tai to the centre of Wellington, running through the mount that divided them. Back then, we didn't know the reason why those who lived locally referred to it by its moniker, or why so many motorists would lean on their horns as they passed through. We would listen, enthralled, to each blast as it echoed loudly through the length of the tunnel and rebounded off the dingy walls. Sometimes the toot would be returned, Sometimes not. My dad was always very much against the idea and positively refused to join in, despite mine and my sister's constant pleading. He said it was idiotic and served no sensible purpose. To us kids, it was an act of gleeful rebellion. We relished hearing the different toots around us as our father drove straight through and grumbled under his breath. Later, and quite randomly, I found stories on the internet that offered a number of explanations for the toots. Some said it was common sense that the tunnel was initially very dark and narrow and people tooted to avoid colliding with other motorists while inside. Some said it was in tribute to a young woman allegedly murdered by her lover while the tunnel was being built in the 1930s, her body buried underneath the fill. Others took the story of murder and death even further. They claimed the tunnel was haunted and the toots were necessary to ward away any ghosts that might follow you as you pass through. Whatever the reason and however it started, there seemed to me few things could be more fun than blowing my horn as I drove through Mount Victoria. When I passed my driving test at 19 and my dad helped buy me a battered helmet avenger, I finally got my chance although never with my dad in the car. Fifteen years on, the Avenger replaced by a banana yellow Suzuki Swift, my love of the toot slowly diminished. Not every journey through the tunnel demanded a honk on my horn, not unless someone else tooted first. I was more mindful of pedestrians passing through on the elevated tunnel path or the time of day. I began to understand in some small way why my father was so opposed to the idea how ridiculous the notion really was. It wasn't too long before passing through the tunnel became a normal, boring part of my day and the toots lost their appeal completely, much like everything else in my life. January eight years ago, I married Julie Murphy, my high school sweetheart. It was a strange summer, initially blisteringly hot for days on end, only to fall into week after week of dull grey and constant drizzle. Our wedding was a complete washout. My mother-in-law was particularly furious that her specially purchased and expensive hat was ruined by the rain. Julie's cousin Alan crashed his car on the state highway on his way to the reception. He was fine, but the car was a write-off. 
My uncle Thomas took a funny turn after reacting to something he ate, had to be carted away in an ambulance. We laughed about it at the time, joked that maybe it was an omen. But four years later, when it seemed like the bad luck had held, Julie moved out of her house and in with one of her workmates, deciding she liked Sandra much more than she liked me. To be honest, while I was disappointed, I carried on pretty much as normal. I think deep down, I'd known it wasn't going to last, and I was always a little bit too boring for her. She liked hiking and climbing and surfing off Lyle Bay. I preferred a beer and a good sausage sizzle, maybe a bit of a lounge around on Oriental Bay Beach. I was happy enough to just chill in the back garden, take it all easy. Sure, the more I relaxed, the more my stomach grew, but I just wasn't the type of bloke to go charging around for fun. An old football injury in my early 20s had left me with a dodgy knee, a convenient excuse to stay put. Julie had a zest for life. She grabbed it with both hands. She was passionate about everything in her life, her hobbies, her friends and her career. She was always keen to explore new things and places, to seek out her next grand adventure. I just took what I was given, did the best I could with it. I got a job as a taxi driver. It wasn't amazing money, but it was enough. Certainly, since there was only me to think about. Mum and Dad went up the West Coast, settled in Raglan with the rest of the retiree crowd. My sister lived with her husband and four sprogs and a quarter acre in the South Island, too busy and too tired to make the trip over the strait. I could probably have spent time with Julie and Sandra. They always said there was no reason not to stay friends. But it felt awkward. And honestly, I was much happier on my own. I spent my days and nights out driving. That was all right with me. I made a lot of trips to the airport, a few journeys up the coast, but mostly it was suburb to city and back again, regular daily routines. I passed through two tunnel easily a dozen times a day. I never tooted while I was working, though. It wouldn't have been right. My employer would not have approved. Some of the out-of-towners used to ask me what it was all about. Others begged me to reciprocate. I never did. At least, not until I met the girls. I picked up the three of them from Willard Street near the Hotel St George one Thursday night. They said they'd been exploring Wellington for a while, but now it was time to go home. One of them gave me an address for a street in her tie-tie. The trip from the city would take us through the tunnel to the other side of Mount Victoria. They were all quite young, really, probably none of them out of their twenties. They had a slight awkwardness about them, as if they hadn't yet grown into themselves. Perhaps it was just a little youthful naivety. None of them were local, as far as I could tell, and although they seemed Kiwi, I could detect an Irish lilt to their accent as they spoke. They were friendly and exceedingly polite, and they introduced themselves to me with their full names, even though they didn't need to. Mary Ann Keating, Hannah Coffey, and Agnes Conlon. Three young chicks enjoying their youthful freedom in the city. They all grew pretty animated as we passed through the tunnel, talking loudly and laughing a lot. They laughed even louder, they heard the honk of a horn. I asked them if they knew what the toots were all about, if they'd heard of the local legend. They told me they had and giggled amongst themselves. Hannah said people tooted for the ghosts to grant them safe passage through the tunnel. Agnes laughed as if at some great joke, while Mary Ann simply shook her head and stifled her giggles behind her hand. I thought that maybe they were drunk, yet I couldn't smell any alcohol on their breath. 
Agnes leaned over from the back seat and asked me to toot my horn too. I told her I couldn't do that when I was working. She grunted, stuck out her bottom lip like a toddler might do, packing a sad. Hannah was sitting in the passenger side and she tried to persuade me to toot too. Again, I gave a very definite no. Her expression turned quite dark, her face shadowed by a frown. I thought it was a little weird, but by that time, we were out of the tunnel and into her tete. The girls went quiet and spoke to each other only in whispers from that point. There was no more raucous laughter. Indeed, their whole tone seemed to change. They seemed somehow less amiable, maybe even hostile. They were mostly quiet for the rest of the journey. I pulled up outside the address they'd given me and asked them for the fare. Hannah paid up without a word. She seemed almost reluctant to give me the money, furrowing her brow and pursing her lips as she dropped coin after coin into my open palm. They walked away from the car without even saying cheers. I looked back in my rearview mirror as I drove away, but I couldn't see them. I thought they must have gone inside. I don't know why, but it bothered me. People are often rude to me when I'm driving. Mostly I can give a crap. I get paid regardless. I felt odd though, unsettled, like I'd let them all down somehow. The feeling didn't last. And I didn't give any of them much more thought until four days later when I ended up with them all in my car again. I said hello and once more they introduced themselves to me with their full names, despite there being no need. I found that strange. I asked them if they remembered me and saw blank looks cross their faces. I shrugged and asked them where we were headed and they told me the same address as before. Once again, we would need to pass through the tunnel and just like before, they got more excitable and giggly the closer that we got. It was a sunny afternoon during the school holidays and there were quite a few vehicles on the roads, no doubt heading to the beach and coast. The traffic slowed up as we approached the tunnel and I could see Marianne in the rear view mirror practically jumping up and down in her seat with what I could only assume was excitement. I asked her if she was all right, and she replied that she was quite well, thank you. Hannah and Agnes resumed their laughter, and they squealed with joy as we entered the tunnel to be greeted with an echoing toot. Agnes asked me to sound my horn. She told me I absolutely must reply. I informed her once again that I was sorry to disappoint, but I didn't do that while I was working. She kept on at me, begging and pleading, and then Mary Ann and Hannah joined in too. The traffic was slow, barely moving, and the end of the tunnel suddenly seemed very far away. I repeated my apology and told them a very firm no, but by now I was feeling somewhat uncomfortable at their insistence. Another toot bounced off the walls around it, answered by someone further up ahead. The girls kept asking and asking and asking, no longer happy and giggly, there was a sharp edge to their voices. Their requests were no longer amusing or light-hearted. They were making a stern demand. Agnes, sitting in the seat beside me, looked me straight in the eyes and told me, you better go right ahead and toot that horn, mister, or there will be much misery in your future. I didn't know how to reply to that. Such a strange thing to say and way of saying it. I just kept quiet, fixed my gaze on the traffic ahead of me and focused on getting through the tunnel. I wanted to throw them out of the taxi right then, but I knew that was not only impossible, it would be incredibly dangerous. I'd be putting them in grave danger from other traffic. I tried my best to ignore them, eager to deliver them to their destination, hopefully never see them again. 
I saw the reflection of Mary Ann's face in my rearview mirror, a look of pure disdain and fury. And in that moment, I felt quite frightened, and yet I couldn't fully explain why. I was distracted by my emotions, wasn't paying full attention to the car in front. The taxi kept rolling, but the master ahead of me had stopped. I felt the bang before I heard it. Two cars collided and crumpled like an empty chip packet. My seat belt pulled tight around my chest and made me gasp as my head bounced forwards quickly, then snapped back. My right hand slipped from the side of the steering wheel, came down hard on the horn. Truth be told, I'm not completely sure what happened next. Either the cab or my eyeballs became engulfed in white fire. I heard a pop, followed by two more. My ears felt like they were filled with seawater. I smelled unusual odour in the air, sweet and floral, yet totally repugnant all at once. My body was frozen, pinned by the seatbelt, and paralysed, perhaps from shock. It was as if all my five senses had been assailed at once, and my brain didn't know what to process first. I heard shouting outside, was aware of movement as people approached the car. The taxi's engine was still running, and somehow I found the wherewithal to turn off the ignition and pull the handbrake. I turned to my left, the words coming out of my mouth almost before I'd even thought of them, asking if everyone was okay. Nobody answered me. I was all alone in the cab. Strangers pulled me out of the car. They made sure I got to hospital. The doctor told me I had whiplash and a concussion and advised me that I should not drive. I told them driving was my livelihood. They simply shook their heads and shrugged. They gave me a form told me I could make an ACC claim to get help financially if I couldn't work. I discharged myself that evening, took a bus home for the first time in years. I threw the form into the first rubbish bin I saw. I'd never taken a handout in my life, and I didn't plan on ever doing so. A couple of nights later, I awoke from a dream so unsettling yet so confusing I could barely even call it a true nightmare. I was walking through the city at night, along Salamanca Road, I found myself entering a cemetery, a full moon shining in the sky. So far, so cliched, I thought to myself, as I'd walked along the path past the headstones. There I saw three shadows, standing at the edge of the graveyard. I couldn't make out much detail, but I could see the shapes of full skirts and bonnets. I walked towards them, calling out a cautious greeting as I went. But before I could reach them, my foot got caught on a tree root and I fell. I almost hit my head on a wooden cross, an antique grave marker. Without knowing why, I read the name carved deep into the face. Mary Ann Keating, date of death, 1886. Perhaps I should have been surprised, but in that moment it made complete sense. I cast my eyes around the graveyard, settling on another headstone not far from the path. Agnes Conlin died 1884. I knew that if I searched I would find Hannah too, but I didn't want to. I didn't need that validation. A thin cloud moved across the moon, shadows stretched out onto the grass behind me. I looked up to see the three girls smiling and laughing, their dark hair flying around their shoulders, long fingers reaching out for me. I'd come too, not with the usual violent jerk of awakening from a nightmare but with a slow rise, as if I had ascended from being submerged under the sea. I finally understood. 
that was almost six months ago. I've had quite a few more like those three girls in my cab since then. I found that I'm pretty good at figuring out who my passengers really are. I reckon those girls left me a gift. They entrusted me with something. Maybe I had it in me all along. I simply hadn't wanted to see. I don't just have a job now. I have a purpose. And it makes me smile when I drive through the tunnel and hear a replying honk to mine. It makes me realise most people are simply waiting for permission to toot. They want to, but they haven't quite built up the nerve. They're always waiting for someone else to go first, to lead the way. That's no way to live a life, I should know. You have to be brave. You're allowed, encouraged even, to toot first. I take my obligations seriously. And those who come to me ask me to sound my horn for them, I do so willingly. I am the one who gives them passage. I am the guide who leads them when they are lost. We're all just going from A to B. The excitement is in choosing the roads we take. No one can go on forever. Everything has to end. When your adventure is finally over, I'll be waiting in my cab. We can go together through the toot tunnel. I make sure you get home safe. Before I finish, I'd just like to mention this other book that I edited recently, Black Dogs, Black Tales, Where the Dogs Don't Die. This is a charity anthology with contributions from writers all around the world. And all the money is in support of the Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand. If you'd like to grab a copy, you can message me via Facebook or you can buy online from Amazon. Thank you for listening to my story.